You may notice the bricks in front of us here. We've got faith. Today we're going to talk about love. We also have the word pray. So the building blocks for our church, pray, faith, and love. Uh, there's going to be one more next uh, two weeks from today. We're going to talk about Memorial Day next weekend. But uh, <clears throat> as we think about the church today in America, what's going on? What's going on with that church? Not just Beaverdam Baptist Church, but the church at large. And um, we live in confusing times. We don't need to look at the TV or the newspaper very long to realize things are pretty confused out there. <clears throat> but God is not the author of confusion. God's plan is the same today, it was the same yesterday, and it's the same tomorrow. God has a plan for a church to grow. God has a plan for every church to be the church that God designed it to be from the very beginning. We're going to talk about love today. You may have noticed it's all about love. It really is. And I'm praying that when we finish our time together today that you'll understand maybe love in a new way. There's a lot of familiar stuff we're going to look at today, but I want you just to really ponder, begin uh, preparing your heart. I know you already have been, but even now, to hear what God has to say to each and every one of us about love. A number of years ago, there was an ad in the paper in Prescott, Arizona. The ad read like this. It said, marriage-minded man who owns 150 acres of pristine farmland seeks a marriage-minded woman with a John Deere tractor. <laughs> the editorial and the ad concluded, please send a picture of the tractor. <laughs> you know, this man knew what he wanted. This man, at that moment, knew what was important in his life. It was that tractor. But we all know that no matter how nice and pristine that tractor was, what model it was, what kind of power it had, that's not really, really, ultimately, what's important in life. The question for you and I today, <clears throat> what is really, really important in our life? Think about that for just a second. What is really important in your life, in my life? We can think of all kinds of things, but what is the underwriting foundation to all those things? It's, it's love. It's love. We're going to start with Nehemiah today, and that's kind of the foundation of where we've been building back the walls here the, of the church at large, but also the church of Beaverdam Baptist Church. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah 5. We're going to talk about love in Nehemiah 5. We're going to begin at the sixth verse, but before we begin, I want you to realize the first five verses, we see that uh, Nehemiah is dealing with great opposition. If you study the book of Nehemiah, we've studied a little bit, and we'll study it one more week. But if you study in Nehemiah, you realize that God had put his hand upon him. Nehemiah had a relationship with God when he heard about the walls. Why? Because he fasted, he prayed, and he was in anguish, desiring to do something about God's holy city. But Nehemiah is a book about leadership, but it's also a book about prayer. It begins and it ends with prayer. There's also 12 beautiful, prolonged prayers in the book of Nehemiah, where, God is seeking, or where Nehemiah is seeking God. But Nehemiah here in this chapter is dealing with opposition. Throughout the book we see the outside opposition, but this one happens to be on the inside. I want you to think for just a moment. What is it that typically destroys families, churches, nations? It's usually not opposition from the outside. 
because we live in a fallen world, but typically what destroys those institutions, the marriage, the family, the church, and the nation, comes from the inside. There's something that we're missing on the inside of all these things. We see that in our nation. I don't believe there's a nation in this world that can come in and take over America. I believe if we destroy America, it's going to come from the inside. Not having the right things in America. How do churches get destroyed? I've always pondered in my own mind that we can tell the church that we're really doing what God wants us to do when we see the opposition coming from the outside. They start throwing stones at the church, and they start getting mad because you guys are just talking too much about Jesus. We're tired of you talking about Jesus. It's the same thing with families and marriages. Because there's something wrong on the inside, these things fall apart. So Nehemiah is dealing. He's dealing in the first five verses of chapter 5 with greed. He's dealing with poverty. He's dealing with exploitation. He's dealing with grumbling and murmuring and critical hearts. The story we want to look at here this morning picks up in verse 6. He's hearing and dealing with all these things. And verse 6 picks up there. If you found your way to Nehemiah 5, verse 6, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Nehemiah 5, 6. And this is Nehemiah speaking. He said, I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. After a serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called the great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or so they will be sold to us. Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk on the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word today. Father, I pray today, Father, that we might see love, Father. We might see it in a new light, Father. But also, Lord, that we would desire to leave here, Father, and love you in a greater way, Father, but also love one another, love our neighbors, Father. Lord, we thank you now once again for this most precious time. We thank you for your word that lives. Speak to our hearts, Father, that we all might leave here just a little bit different than the way we came in. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 6, we just read there, we see that the first thing he did was get angry, angry inside. But then look at the very first words in verse 7. It said, after serious thought. If you look in the King James Version, it's, it's written down, I consulted myself. If you go back and look at the, and this is a little word study here, if you go back and look at the Greek for these things, what it means, you know what it means? It says, my heart took counsel over myself. My heart took counsel within me. I want you to realize that in the midst of the hardest times in life, the greatest thing that can happen to us is that our mind takes counsel with our heart. Why is that important? Because hopefully our heart belongs to God. Hopefully we stop, we keep our mouth closed, and we, all of a sudden we realize, hey, God, I know I'm not thinking right. What is the right thought here? God, how do I handle the situation? God, what would you have me to do? Another interpretation in the Greek is my heart was king over me. Do we live our lives today with, the, with our hearts being the king of our lives? Is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of our life? Are we living with Jesus Christ right in the center of our life and He is the Lord and the Master and the Ruler of my life? I'm a slave to Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of my life. I love the fact that He consulted Himself. I love the fact that it means that He took counsel with the heart inside Him. He stopped for a minute, so He didn't proceed the way He's going. He could have very easily 
been very venomous, very bitter towards those people and kind of chastised them to a point where it didn't make a difference. But listen very carefully. Nehemiah, we're going to see here, exercised, first of all, his heart, but also he loved those people. In the midst of just being aggravated, really? I came all the way over here, a thousand miles out of my way to Jerusalem to help you build the walls that you guys weren't doing yourself. And now you want to complain? You want to be critical? You want to swipe at each other? He could have very easily, and probably justified from our thinking. But Nehemiah had a different thing going on in his heart. It was God. God was there. God had something to say. He paused, listen very carefully, and God took over. Think about that in our life. You know, I've said this before, but I've mentioned it to the guys all the time in our Bible studies. One of the greatest things that men and women can do to look godly, keep our mouth closed. Don't speak until God takes over. Don't speak until my heart takes over. That's what Nehemiah was doing. You know, that's, a, that's an easy way, but it's also the right way for us to exercise love for one another. Look at verse 9 for just a second. He said, Then I said, What are you doing? What you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God? You know what the fear of God is? It's not being afraid. That's not wrong to be like that. But it's really being in awe of God. It's really being subservient to God. It's really being in, in, in reverence towards God. It's really being in a, in a position with God where we realize, man, you're a great God and I'm nothing without you. It's standing in awe of God Almighty. I want you to pick up on this thought. Fear of God is the basis of life's transformation. It really is. Of coming to understand who God is. When I truly come to understand who God is and I stand in fear of Him, when I stand in reverence of Him, when I stand in awe of God, you know what happens? It changes my life. Because I realize how big God is. Nehemiah desired to do it God's way and love took over. He told them, we're going to handle this like God would handle it. He's telling the nation of Israel there in the midst of all their bickering, the, all, all the opposition and all the aggravation that was going on, he says, wait a minute. Before we do anything, before you open your mouth again, let's think about who our God is. Let's stand in awe of God. Is that what God would have us to do? Does that get what God wants out of us? What matters most in our lives is love. Even people that don't claim Jesus Christ realize that love's important. They want to be loved. They want to be liked. But when we come to understand who God is and we love Him because He first loved us, we can realize love at a whole other level. And we should. They will know us by our what? Our love, right? Where I want to go this morning is I want you to think about this. And it's really been our theme since... Since this church started. But how do you build a great church? With a great commandment, a great commission, and a great commitment to those two things. A great commandment, a great commission, and a great commitment to those two things. We're going to look at some scriptures here this morning together. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. Nehemiah built the wall in Jerusalem... Because of a number of things, but first and foremost, because of love. His love for God, first and foremost, but secondly, because he loved the people. And he tried to instill in them love for one another. Mark 12, verse 29, says this. 
the Pharisees were asking him, what is the great commandment? When they asked to see the greatest commandment, they really, I don't know if they really did, but they wanted to know what mattered most. They wanted to know, what do we need to do to get it right? What is the greatest commandment? They were all based about works, and so they wanted to know, what's the most important thing do I need to be based on? The most important thing is you and I, even having grace through Jesus Christ, is the great commandment. God desires for us to do this. Jesus is telling them, if you do this, you're going to get life right. The greatest commandment you can follow. Listen very carefully. We can know the whole Bible. We really can. We can be a walking biblical encyclopedia. We can know the Bible better than anybody we know. But unless we understand the great commandment and follow it and live it, you know what? Why bother with the whole rest of the Bible? God's told us what's most important, to love Him. Listen to this. Mark 12, verse 29. It says, Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is it. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, he says. And then he goes on, verse 31. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. He's telling us, the Bible tells us this, God tells us this, He wants to be first. He wants to be number one in our life. He desires for us to give Him first place, to love Him with everything we have, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Why don't I, I've preached whole sermons on those four different thoughts about how we can love Him, but I just want to touch on something very quickly here as we go through these things. We're to love God supremely more than anything else. If somebody looks at you, do they understand that, man, that guy love, has some love for somebody? Who is it? It's God. They can tell that you love God. Why? Because of the way we care ourselves. But the most important part is not what other people think. What does God think? Does God know that you have a heart for Him? Does God know that you love Him above all else? It tells us here that we're to love Him with all of our heart. Does your heart break for the things that break God's heart? Does your heart break for the things that break God's heart? Another interesting question here about our heart. Can we truly love God without action? If we love God, should there be action? I'm here to tell you, I love my wife. I don't know that she'd believe it if there wasn't some sort of action associated for 30 years. Same with you. Do our kids love us? Do we love our kids? We can't love God with all of our heart if there's no action involved. Love with all your soul. I want you to ponder this thought for just a second. Do you love God with all your soul? When was the last time that you, got, that you gave God a standing ovation? When was the last time that you gave God a standing ovation? What does that mean, Pastor? Says, when, when was the last time you were overwhelmed with something you saw in God's creation? When was the last time you were overwhelmed with something that you saw God do and realized God did that? Let me tell you, this is very close and personal, Amy and I. She's mentioned it several times. You wrote letters to little Joe last week. They're precious friends. And as a pastor, I've seen a number of people pass on, and it's made me sad and had sympathy for the family, and it was personal loss. For whatever reason, this one really went deep with us. But you know what was so amazing and all that? It's sad to say goodbye to somebody so precious. Was the level that they operated at going through this. They were a living testimony of having grace even in the hardest times of life. How they had that grace? Because of this. They love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. 
And when this very hard time came along, this wasn't the first time Jill had cancer. She'd had it once before, about five or six years ago. Got a clean slate. Thinking, okay, thank you, God. Praise God for that. And then four or five years later, what happens? It comes back. But they didn't miss a beat. They walked through the program. They walked through all the things the doctors suggested. Did some things the doctors didn't suggest. Trying to just pray. But they, they got their whole prayer warriors praying. They realized that God's in control. Did that change their feeling about God? Do they still love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. They loved Him even more. Why? Because they realized God is faithful. God is good. I want you to ponder this thought about our soul. Our capacity of awe and wonder about God determines the size of our soul. Think about that. Have you ever thought about the size of our soul? How big is my soul? Man, God has given me a, a soul. It's awesome. How do I feed that soul? By loving Him with everything I got. By standing in amazement. By being still and knowing He is God. How do I understand and how do I love with all my soul? I want to stop and smell the roses. I want to ponder the things that are happening around me. I want to see people like He sees them. I want to see my family like God sees them. I want to be His child. I want Him to be my Master and my Lord. It says to love Him with all of our mind. Well, what does that mean? I don't know if you've thought about this, but uh, the average brain is the size of a softball. weighs about three pounds. This is amazing, though. The best they can figure out if the mind has the capacity to learn something brand new every second, every minute, every hour, of every day, of every year, for 300 million years. Think about that. That's the mind. Most of you probably have four-pound brains. I probably have a two-pound one, but still. 300 million years? Are you kidding me? It's amazing. God wants us to grow. And I want you to ponder this thought, too, about loving with all my mind. Learning is not a luxury. Learning is not a luxury. Learning is a stewardship that God's given us. What does that mean? It means God gave me my mind. How am I using and what am I using my mind for? I don't know if you've noticed this. Those of you that got very young children probably do. You can still remember it. I can still remember it. My kids, but I have a hard time remembering things nowadays. I really do. But you know how easy it is for kids that are five, six, seven years old to memorize scripture? Unbelievable. My daughter came home from school in her first grade year and said, Dad, have you ever heard the Christmas story? I said, I have. Can I tell it to you? She quoted all of Luke 2. This is a six-year-old. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Why is that? You know why it is? Because their minds are fresh. They have that mind that God gave them at that, even that early age. They're just sponges. Why do we have such a problem? Because we've allowed so much clutter to get into our mind. So much garbage in our mind. So many things. God wants us to use our minds for His glory. God wants us to redeem the time using our mind. Learning is not a luxury. It's a stewardship. God's given us a stewardship. What have I learned about God this year? What have I learned about God today? What am I seeing about God this day? That's why He wants us to stay in His Holy Word all the time, meditating on it day and night. Why? Because He wants to refresh our mind. I've shared this before too. I went back to seminary a number of years ago. My biggest worry was my mind. Do I have the mind to be able to memorize stuff not really but you know what happened when I began memorizing scripture you know what happened God cleared the way the easiest thing for me to memorize then and today is scripture memorizing scripture I can't memorize baseball scores no more what I want to I can't memorize much of anything else but when God 
says, hey, I want to give you something. I want to transform your life. You know what he does? Makes it easy for us. Finally, with our strengths. Christianity is not a noun, it's a verb. It's an action verb. The bottom line for strength is when the, when, loving him with all your strength. When's the last time you broke a sweat for the glory of God? When was the last time that you broke a sweat for the glory of God? Jesus goes on and says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And then he says, the second commandment is like unto it. What does he say? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's got it all covered there. We're to love God first and we're to love everybody else. Love everybody else like we love God. Love everybody else because we love God. Listen very carefully. We can't really love other people the way God wants us to if we don't love God first. It needs to go in that order. You know the people that seem to do the best job about loving other people are the people that you find out later, man, they have a relationship. They have a loving, intimate relationship with God. They have this incredible experience with God. And it permeates out of them. It flows out of them. I want to love people out of the overflow of God in me. I know you do too. There's a couple sitting, an older couple sitting in their living room at night, had a little fire going and just having a good social time with each other. And the husband looked over at the wife, had kind of a romantic thought. And he pondered for a few minutes and then he said this. He said, after 50 years... I have found you tried and true. She had a little problem with her hearing, so she looked back and says, What did you say? I said, After 50 years, I have found you tried and true. And she looked at him and pondered for a second and says, Yeah, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> we all need love. We all need love. There's a medical condition in newborns. It's called FTT. This is a little personal for Amy and I as well. It's called failure to thrive. FTT. There's an organic FTT and there's an inorganic FTT. The organic FTT, it, it has to do with physical. We've known babies in our church here and that are physically not maturing because they're not able to receive nutrition. Something's wrong with their body. Or either that or they're not getting fed. Failure to thrive organically means that there's a physical situation. They're not getting the nutrients and the things. It can be uh, something wrong or something out of place in the baby's body. They're just not taking the nutrition in. The signs of this, their body's not growing. Newborn baby's four weeks old and it weighs less than it did when it was born. There's something wrong there in that picture. What happens after that? For a while, too, everything starts ringing in, including the head. It's very serious. It can cause death. Then there's the inorganic FTT, failure to thrive. The inorganic one is more of a spiritual mind thing. Every single baby needs to be nurtured, loved, held, touched, affirmed. They know that. Something happens to children that that doesn't happen to. They say that the nurturing aspect of a child's age is the greatest at that beginning. How they're nurtured, how they're held, how they're loved at a very early age. It's all about the touch. It's all about loving that child and, and holding them close. And they, they feel that security. Think about where they've come from. They've come from a womb where they didn't have to do anything. They just existed. Everything happened for them. Now all of a sudden they're outside the womb. And they have to begin learning how to do things themselves, how to breathe and how to eat and 
You know, the, the, the world here, it's a, it's a strange place. It's a cold place. It's a dark place, too, compared to where they've come from. Not warm and touching. Both conditions can lead to death. The effect of them physically, emotionally, and intellectually can cause them to become troubled individuals. Listen very carefully. God built us to be loved. He really did. God, God made a difference in our life the moment we were born because He gives us the people that are supposed to love us, to take care of us. I told you this is personal. My son, my youngest son, Jonathan, had this issue. Not just one of them, he had both of them. We have his hospital records where he was taken to the hospital numerous times for malnutrition, starvation. But we also know his biological parents. One of them was in jail. The other one just didn't care because he had other things more important. So he had a whole, whole big absence of love in his life. Let me tell you this. You know we had some struggles. Last week we got a call from his school. And uh, his personal counselor and Jonathan had no idea this was going to happen. That's why we didn't get invited. But they told us that Jonathan won nine awards at school. He got this award for the highest academic average of all the students in school. When we sent him away, he was failing 10th grade, everything, Fs across the board. He's an outstanding student at the school. There's about 60 kids there. He won award after award for being the outstanding this, outstanding that. You know what happened? We loved him. We just, it wasn't enough of us. He went to the school where all they did is love him. They helped him kind of get lined up. But they even exercised rules with love. No matter where we're at in this world, we all need love. We were, there wasn't a whole lot about loving John, I mean, him loving people on some days. His mom and dad had a hard time some days even liking him because he was so out of control. We loved him. We like him. We're thanking God today that love prevails. I'm sharing this story because we all need love. It's never too late to allow love come into our life. There's a lot of people walking around out there very, very bitter about life. We can't coerce them into changing their attitude. But you know what? We can love them because God loves us. We can see them change. The most powerful force in all the world is love. It's love. God created you and I to be loved and to love. Give you a little Bible quiz this morning. You know what book of the Bible talks the most about the tongue? James, you're right. I love preaching to Bible scholars here. That's great. Proverbs talks a lot about it too, but James does. James 3.10 says this. And we're, we're talking right now about one of the easy ways we can show love. James is a very practical book. James is teaching us how to live our faith. James is telling us how to live it out. James 3 says, Out of the mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. He's saying out of your mouth can come both things, cursings and blessings. James is saying that shouldn't be so. What should come out of our mouth is only edification, only encouragement, only blessings of people. The power of our speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. Think about it. We can use our speech and our tongue to praise God, to pray, to teach other people about Jesus Christ, to lead the lost to, 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 to come to know Jesus Christ. The mouth can also be used to ruin lives, be used to break hearts, be used to start wars. The tongue, tongue of the human being 
can either be used to build the kingdom or to burn it down. It can either be productive or destructive. You know, the question for you and I today, is my mouth and my tongue connected to God or to connect to the enemy? These are some easy things. It's not easy to do. But some very basic things in my life that I can demonstrate love to somebody else, that I can share what God has given me with other people, that I can speak in a way that I'm going to build people up. We've talked about this before. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody looked at you and said, that person is one of the most encouraging people I've ever known. That person is one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever known. I can tell you this too, and, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself first here. I'm stepping to my, my toes this last week thinking about these things. But think about this, criticism. I'm sure we all do it. I'm sure we all have had experiences criticizing things because something bothered us or criticized a boss at work or whatever it might be. But I want you to think about criticism. Criticism is injecting poison into somebody else's life. And it might not be being critical of some, that person you're talking to. It might be critical, I'm talking to this person, but I'm being critical about that person over there, or this person over there, but I'm talking to this person here. You know what I do when I criticize? I'm injecting poison in that person's life. I'm impacting the way they think about somebody. Or I'm impacting them. They were all excited about life, and now you want to come and pour this little negative pool on my head? You want to rain down all this negativity on me? God has called you and I out. I want you to think about this. Final thought on the great, great commandment. In Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to rate to God and to others either through our redemption or through our sinfulness. Because of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to relate to other people either through our redemption or through our sinfulness. God has given you and I an incredible life here. How do you build a great church? The great commandment, the great commission. Turn over with me very quickly here to Matthew 28, if you will. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. The great commission. You know it. I'm going to read it to you here. You know it. You've heard it before. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is it that you're sitting in this place today? How is it that you're sitting here today? Somebody invites you to come to church? Somebody tell you about Jesus Christ and you sought out a church to come find? I want to tell you, and I appreciate Pastor Terry didn't know what I was preaching on today. I appreciate his illustration. They're going out and knocking on doors, wanting to tell them about Jesus Christ. Thank God for the power of the invitation. I believe if you look back about how you got active involved, maybe it was your parents. Maybe your parents told you. It wasn't so much an invite. It was a volunteer tell. We're going to church today. Thank you, God, for taking me to church, my parents. What is the heartbeat of the Son of God? You ever think about that? What is the heartbeat? It's right here. It's one of the last things that Jesus talked about. It is the last thing Jesus talked about. It's one of the last things he said. Acts 1.8 is the last thing. You should receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. The last thing Jesus said. The heartbeat of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ desired, he died upon that cross that you and I might have this life. Hear this. 
Nobody's ever seen God. Jesus Christ came, but he's gone back to heaven. Whose responsibility is it now to tell people about Jesus Christ? It's yours and mine. I believe this is going to be one of the great, great things that many people that go to church are going to be called into question for. And heaven's not going to cause you not to go to heaven if you have Jesus Christ. But when God looks at our works, he's going to say, you were a Christian for 55 years, you were a Christian for 30 years, and you never told one single person about that relationship that you and I have. God has left us here for a very specific reason. As we think about loving God and loving other children, do others know the love of God because they see it and hear it from you? Do other people know the love of God? Finally, it takes to build a great church a great commandment, a great commission, and a great commitment. Mark 8, 34 says this, When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desired to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. I believe our struggle, yours included, we have a hard time denying ourselves. We understand I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to follow Jesus Christ, but I have a hard time getting out of the way. The biggest problem that people that follow Jesus Christ have is getting out of the way. Myself. It's not somebody else standing in front of you blocking you from doing it. It's just getting to the point in my life. It's like a lot of things in our life, you know. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be disciplined. I want to start doing this. It takes that first step, that first step to do it. Don't miss this thought this morning. I believe with all my heart, I've seen it personally, but I believe God's called us to do it. There's people in your life every single day that would be changed if you took the time to tell them about Jesus Christ. If you took the time to love on them. You've seen it before. People you've helped out, people you've done things for. God's calling you and I to make a great commitment to these two things. To love. To love Him first. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 says this. This is the Apostle Paul trying to encourage a young protege, young pastor that he's mentoring. He says, Therefore I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Stir up means to fan the flames. Fuel the fire. Pour some gasoline on the fire if you need to. He's not telling Timothy you need to go out and get a new gift. He's not telling Timothy you need to go get that gift. He's saying, stir up the fire that's in you. Stir up that fire. In yours and my life, think about this. Is that fire burning inside me right now, or is it just some smoldering coals, or is it just a little campfire? God wants us to operate with full blaze fire going on in our hearts. I have an urgency to tell people about Jesus Christ. I have a desire to be used of today. Do I pray about that in my prayer life? God, would you use me, please? God, show me how I can be used today. God, touch me in a way that I can be used. Use me beyond my abilities. I had the opportunity yesterday to go to Fredericksburg. He asked me to do the devotion before uh, Project 516 went out. A fellow that used to go to church started this ministry. It's not like Mission to Beaver Dam or RDR. They do a lot of work in homes and help people that can't help themselves. And they got a little focused. They were the, sat and had the breakfast with a couple of ladies from WPER, a couple of the commentators, the announcers on the radio there. They were so excited about being up there to see people going out and doing stuff for Jesus Christ. Those folks were stirred up that morning. I was so excited. It was contagious. They were excited about being there. They were excited about spending a whole day to serve people that can't help themselves, to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. 
We need to make a commitment that we're going to start walking where God wants us to walk. The question for you and I this morning is, what is standing in the way of you and I receiving the fullness of God's grace? This is it. We can commit to a lot of things, but am I truly committed to God? Am I committed to the great commandment and the great commission? A year ago in the Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a fellow by the name of Edward McBride. Edward McBride was a dishonest person, had a pretty serious rap sheet. But uh, one afternoon, he kicked in the door of a house. It was cold. It was January. Kicked in the door of the house. He had a duffel bag in his hand. He went through the house and picked up all the electronic gear he could find. A couple of computers and Walkmans and uh, iPhones and all kinds of things. Computer things and speakers. And the neighbor had seen this happen, so he called the police. So Edward McBride heard the sirens coming, so he grabbed his duffel bag and ran out the yard. Out the backyard, here was the Arkansas River. The Arkansas River's out there, and he realized, man, those guys won't follow me across the river, so I'm going to jump in here and drag this bag across the and then get on the other side and I can get away. So he jumped in the river. The police got there. They were staying on the shore, and they watched him. The police took off some of their equipment and jumped in after him. Well, Edward McBride went under, went under the current there, and he didn't come back up. The policemen figured that he probably drowned. They had the fire department come out there, and they began dragging the river for his body, and they found him. About two hours later, they found Edward McBride. He was dead. He was in that river. You know the profound thing that they all thought? He died in that river because he drowned. But clutched and frozen into his hand was that duffel bag. Had the opportunity to get away if he just forgot to hold on to the junk. What are you and I holding on to? What is it that's holding us back to truly love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves? Are we holding on to something? We hold on to some hurt. Well, that person hurt me. Well, that person didn't do me right. Or that, I don't think that person is doing what they should be doing. You know, isn't it amazing how we can very easily judge other people? I want you to meditate on this today as you go home. I want to love God with all that I have. But I also want to love my neighbors. And I can tell you right now who are the hardest ones to love? The ones that might have done something to you, made you feel bad. I tell this to married couples all the time. Your standard for being a husband in this family is not what your wife deserves. Your standard for being a husband in this family is what God called you to be. Wife, your standard isn't to be the wife that that husband deserves. Your standard is to be the wife that God has made you to be. The standard that God has, the, the, the way that God wants you to live this life. When you do that, you know what happens? That marriage is going to be better than it's ever been before. Because I'm no longer basing my feelings and basing how I treat the other person based on circumstances, based on what they do right or wrong. I'm establishing my relationship with all people based on the fact that I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. You ever had an experience where you're sitting at a stoplight and you're kind of impatient, you know, the light's taking forever, and the traffic keeps going, keeps going, it's red, and all of a sudden it turns green. The car in front of you just sits there, though. You think, oh, my gosh, I've just been sitting What's wrong? What's wrong? You know, you're tempted to hit the horn, but your wife edges you and said, hey, we got that stick on the back of our car. Don't, don't hawk, okay? Sits there and sits there and sits there. The light's green. Have you ever had an experience where you sat there all the way through the green light because the person didn't move? They're doing something? A little agitating, isn't it? 
2,000 years ago, the light turned green. There's a lot of Christians today still sitting at the green light. God has turned the light green. He's saying it's time to go. What are you waiting for? You know, the big question here is my life sometimes and some days is, am I waiting on God or is he waiting on me? I want to tell you right now that God has a plan for each one of our lives beginning the moment we stand up and walk out of this church. God desires to use us each in a powerful way. God wants to use us each to make a difference in this world. Transformed lives come from us loving God.